Welcome to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson and Barton Simmons. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. It's Tuesday night. That is outrage night. That is when the College Football Playoff Selection Committee releases its new set of rankings. Uh, joined to break it all down and take a look ahead to what we have coming up. And just to, to kind of reset where we're at, because it has been a minute since uh, since we've gotten Dennis Dodd here on the Cover 3 podcast. He has been all over the place at a lot of these biggest games. So excited to get uh, your insight. So, gentlemen, uh, how are we feeling here on Tuesday night? We got uh, the same 10 Slightly different order, some more takeaways to get into later further down the line. But, um, you know, the the stage is set. How are we doing? I'm good. I'm I, good. Uh, I'm ready to go. Two weeks yeah. to go, yeah. Uh, yeah, let's let's dig in. Okay, so uh, yep. where, where, do you, where do we want to start? Do we want to start with the Alabama issue? Do you think that the committee has tipped its hand at all about its plans to handle Alabama without Tua Tagovailoa in the lineup based on leaving Alabama at number five. Dennis, I'll let you go first. I think it's a wait and see just because this is the game he went down in uh, against Mississippi State, and they had already won the game. I think that the score remained the same, 38-7. to seven. And they they just threw basically threw up their hands and said, we'll, we'll just wait for the next two weeks. Can't drop them. Don't know much about Mac Jones. We'll, we'll check in with you later. Yeah, I, I think they, they. I agree. I don't. I don't think they tip their hand. In fact, I'm. I'm really interested in seeing how this happens. I, I've gotten to the point where I, I don't expect Alabama. Let's just assume Georgia loses. I don't expect Alabama to be one of the four. I expect them to get jumped. Um, but yes. when I have defended sort of the idea of Alabama in the playoffs. I have defended it in the context of believing that if you feel like on Friday evening that Alabama was a top four team in college football, and even if you feel like they were a top five team in college football, decidedly, then I think then, the and let's just say the committee felt like that, then I think the committee owes it to Alabama to judge Alabama based on what it looks like with Mac Jones and not just make an assumption that they are not as good without Tua. We all believe they're not as good without Tua, but I think that the committee owes it to Alabama to judge it based on the new team that we're seeing against Auburn. And, and uh, you know, that's going to be really interesting what that team looks like because they're, I, I, will allow the possibility for that team to rise to the occasion and uh, and look really good. I, I know this. I, I know this. Western Carolina is going to get it because <laughs> Nick ain't going to be messing around. You really we ain't got so? to, We ain't got Tua. How about how does 70 to 6 sound? Mm. You know, uh, we're, we're back. We're the same. No, I, I th- Mac Jones plays four quarters. They are close to four quarters. And the, the, he needs the reps anyway to play Auburn. So, and they look, look, the, I think everybody knows win or lose, 
uh, Alabama's not going to hang 40 on Auburn at Auburn. I mean, when they get, but it's going to be 23 to 13 because of that defense. That defense is really good. So they're going to have to make as big a statement as they can. Uh, I don't think they can ma- they can make it at Auburn by winning, but they can't make it uh, at Auburn with style points, if that makes sense. They would need help. I mean, Alabama's in a position yeah. that I would consider similar to Oklahoma. Uh, I would say similar to, let's see, Alabama, a one-loss Oklahoma, both feel like they need a little bit of help, and it's interesting because they're on opposite sides of the two Pac-12 teams, Oregon and Utah, but Oregon and Utah both still have in the potential future where if they're able to take care of business, where we've got Utah playing against Arizona, Oregon playing against Arizona State, both of them on the road. Uh, then, of course, the Civil War, which, hello, Oregon State. I'm not going to say that that's just going to be uh, all locked up and ready to go, but if that one loss Pac-12 champion is currently ahead of the Big 12, that's that's kind of how we're seeing this, right? Where it, a lot of it also hinges on the LSU beating Georgia because everyone imagines that Georgia would take that second loss to even open up the fourth spot. But if it's, yeah. if it's a one-loss Alabama and a one-loss Pac-12 champion and a one-loss Oklahoma, who do you think gets that spot? Well, Pac-12... Is conference, yeah, yeah, conference title they're in, and 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 I think the other th- factor is, I mean, look at the I mean, a the rankings are consistent, they're, they're they're top seven. I think you could make a, you could make an argument for, for Oregon to be four, um, you know, maybe you don't have that argument for Utah to be four, but I don't know, I I, I could, I I could probably. Mount the case. Hey, how about, about Zach it? Moss? I just uh, so we're recording this like instant. We we just got finished doing CBS Sports HQ reactions to so now we're reacting to the reacting to the reacting. The teleconference with the College Football Playoff Selection Committee was just going mm-hmm. on, and like Barton, to your point, a storyline that you brought up that I had not heard as part of the national conversation. That is, I'm glad it is conveniently being brought back to our attention. If the committee is going to take injuries into consideration when it, when it looks at a team's resume, the fact that Zach Moss, one of the best players, period, any position in the Pac-12 was injured and not available for a good portion of that USC loss, I think that changes uh, some of the math so that maybe Utah is not that far behind Oregon in terms of the way that we power rank them in a uh, you know splitting hairs decision-making process. I agree. And I, I, think, I, th- that- I think it helps. I, I, I... Go ahead, Dennis. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say I, it helps the Pac-12 if Oregon wins this thing. They've got a better schedule strength. They – they at least took the game against Auburn. They took the game, which a lot of people won't do. And if there's such a thing as a quality loss, and that's a quality loss. Yes, uh, I'm not putting Alabama in the discussion for now because they would have played, they would have had head-to-head. But if we're just talking about the Pac-12, they need Oregon to win. Uh, you know, even, even the eye test, I think Oregon's the better team. Utah is at the highest level they've played all year. But Oregon's more diverse. They're better um, offense defense. Uh, at least the balance between those two. I just think Oregon's Oregon's a little bit sexier 
overall for the Pac-12. I mean, I don't disagree with that, but I do think that Utah, if it wins out and something else catastrophic doesn't happen or something else really like landscape changing doesn't happen, something you know, like Penn State beating Ohio State or uh, Minnesota winning the Big Ten or, or, or something like that, I think if Utah wins out, because of the way they've been playing. They've been sh- like, thumping teams. They've mm-hmm. been totally blasting teams. And I think the other factor at play here, not, I mean, look, there's only, they only have three opportunities to schedule non-conference in the Pac-12. Um, one of those non-conference games for Utah was BYU. BYU could end up going eight and four with some pretty quality wins along the way. And so uh, I, I just think Utah, when you look at the way it's been playing, and also I think when you look at the makeup, Veteran quarterback, um, premier franchise player at, at a skill position is Zach Moss. Elite defensive front. It's it's built to be able to compete with some of these juggernauts. And so I, I think that I don't know, like is is I mean, we haven't seen Utah in the college football playoff conversation like this yet. Is if the logo is Washington, are we talking about them differently? Or if the logo is Oklahoma, I don't know. Like I, I think Utah is probably being unfairly overlooked, and it does. It's not going to matter because if it wins out, then whatever, it'll just still be the Pac-12 representative. But I, I'm starting to really believe in Utah as a, I don't know, a likely playoff contestant. See, I, I like. I, I would say the same things about almost about Oregon. They've got a couple of All-Americans potentially. On that offensive line, starting with Shane Lemieux. Uh, if if Zach Moss isn't the best player on the West Coast, Justin Herbert is. Uh, Juwan Johnson's going nuts lately, and that's six foot four, two hundred and forty pounds, full of you know post up muscle on the edge as a receiver. Um, and then they're play, they're kind of boat racing people as well. Not as much as Utah, but I I, I just as my knee jerk reaction was tonight was the whole thing it was a net win for the Pac-12 because they're right there the the winner they didn't separate Oregon and Utah the winner is going to have the 13th battle they're going to be a conference champion um in in the minds of the public and the voting uh, the voters on the selection committee there's a possibility Alabama will be out of sight out of mind which is saying a mouthful because it's Alabama but I just think They've gotten to that point. And the Pac-12 is better. It's not the joke that it was the last two years. Um, these teams give it some credibility. So I, I think I think this was a net win for the Pac-12. Barton, um, as, as you start to take a look down outside of that top 10 or maybe outside of that top 7 or 8, was there anything that uh, that stood out to you about the selection committee's re-racked 25? Well, I think it's. I think you could make a case that Florida could go as high as behind the Pac-12 teams. I think you could make a case that Florida, given that its only two losses are the two top four teams, and both of them were competitive, uh, it has a win over Auburn. It has been playing really good. Dominated Missouri on the road. Dominated uh, Vanderbilt two weeks ago in you know, not the Vanderbilt means anything but that was 
that was a sleepy 50 something to nothing you know so i just think florida's playing really good football and you could make a case they could be higher and and then the i had a i had an issue with the way oklahoma baylor was handled why, why does baylor after almost beating oklahoma and looking good do it doing it drop down behind wisconsin and michigan when mm-hmm. while oklahoma when who continues to struggle continues to just survive games moves up i i would i would have dropped ou down a spot and moved baylor up a spot just get them a little closer to each other um but again that that's just sort of nitpicking based on just sort of how i view uh the way results should be handled but i'm not going to lose any sleep over it dennis i've got yeah i've got I've had this from the beginning as, as Minnesota emerged. I've got Minnesota in the top five in my little corner of the world, my top 25. And I'll tell you why. Um, for one reason, if you put, if you put their schedules side by side, Minnesota and Alabama are very similar. Al- Alabama's biggest hang up remains. It's, it's schedule. What's, what's their best win? Um, A&M. I don't know. Uh, Minnesota has uh, beaten a top 10. That's something through teams in the top four haven't done. And I think at this point in the season, I keep saying it, nine and one is important. And then you go on the road to a competent opponent and lose by four with a chance to win the game at the end with the ball in your hands. I don't know if that merits dropping two and barely staying in the top 10 because, you know, just like some other teams, uh, Georgia, some other Utah, Oregon maybe, they're, they still control their fate. Minnesota wins out. You're not going to keep a, a 12 and one Big Ten champion out if it's uh, if it's Minnesota. That Wisconsin game will decide you know who wins the West. So, and they they've got dudes. Minnesota's got dudes. Barton, you probably know this. The Tyler Johnson kid at receiver is a player. Um, Antoine Winfield Jr. going into the Iowa game had more interceptions than completions against him this season. Seven interceptions, six completions. He should be an All-American. So there, there are sexier teams to look at, but I choose to think of Minnesota as pretty good. I don't uh, – well, go ahead. Well, no, I, I mean, I, I just – I would second the notion that, that Minnesota is should be given some respect at this point. And mm. – um, are you not? Are you not there? No, 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 no. Because I spent too much time studying this team as it was just farting around with teams that it was better than. And no, no. But he, but here's the thing, though. It farting around. Are you talking about the first three games of the year? Because the last, because it, it took, it was dominating heading into that Penn State game. The last and, three to four games, right? Heading into the Penn State right. game, it was kind of peaking, and like we were, we were, we had turned the corner on Rashad Bateman. We had really started to recognize that that Minnesota secondary as you know not just being Winfield, but just a whole group of just playmakers out there. Uh, yeah, like I'm, I'm, I'm with you that they had done it, but I still, I, I still thought that there was prior to the Nebraska game certainly a lot of questions. The Nebraska game turned things for me a little bit. But I still could look at it and say, you know, I, I don't, I don't think that this team is uh, Oregon. You know, I, to to follow up on what we were just saying, I, I don't think Minnesota is Utah. You know, and, and I, that's that's kind of where I'm. If we're going to talk about Minnesota being disrespected or maybe you know not necessarily being 
treated as it should, given its record and given the fact that it's got a win against Penn State, I I really think that you should start to judge them against Oregon and Utah. And when you look at those two side by side, not necessarily in, in terms of a profile, but just in terms of you know what this team is and what they've done, I, th- I think that they are definitively on a tier below some of those other teams that are contending for the number four spot. See, I, I don't know. Like, I, I think there's a little bit of of a reluctance for us to believe in Minnesota because it's Minnesota. I think uh, I can't remember. I probably brought this up on this pod, so please stop me if I did. But like, I, I crushed the numbers on Minnesota compared to Alabama. This was prior to the Iowa game, so I haven't recalibrated since then. But in the six conference games that Alabama and Minnesota had played, Minnesota was outgaining teams by an average of 158 yards and, and outscoring them by an average of 23 points. Bama was outgaining teams by an average of 106 yards and 21 points. So, yes, Alabama's opponents were slightly better, but both had played a top-10 team. Both had... had the average S&P plus for Minnesota's opponents was 60. Alabama's was 47. So it wasn't dramatically different. And Minnesota, just the, the numbers are telling us that they were beating teams more in more dominant fashion. And I just think because it's Minnesota, we're like, eh. And because of those first three games, we're like, eh. But those first three games, I do think, like, are so long, are so far from where we are now that I do think these are different teams at this point. So I'm... And I'm not sitting here like I, the Minnesota conversation ultimately doesn't matter in the context of the playoffs because they're not going to get in unless they go win the Big Ten championship game. And at that point, they'll be in. So it won't matter. But I do think that as a team, they they I think they deserve more res- like everyone's sort of like, oh, cute story. But I think Minnesota actually is a good team. And, I, and to Dennis's point, yeah, they got Tyler Johnson. They got Rashad Bateman. They got Carter Coughlin. They got Antoine Winfield. They got. They got NFL guys, and um, and they're they're playing like it. Dennis, yeah, I, oh, I go don't ahead. Have to belabor the point. I, I think that's that, that just that, that what uh, Barton said that there are similar resumes. And I, I look, I don't know. I, I I'd give Mac a chance against Oregon or Utah, uh, but again, it's not going to matter unless they went out. I'm just surprised, like like you say, uh, Chip. You know, when there's not a brand name slapped on, it's pretty easy to to discount. Coming up on the other side, where the Big 12 sits in the college football playoff race, plus Tales from the Road with Dennis Dodd, next. (laughs) There's nothing on earth quite like this. Champions League is back at its new home on CBS All Access. Sensational! Stream every match of the world's most prestigious tournament live. That's incredible! The UEFA Champions League group stage kicks off Tuesday on CBS All Access. There's nothing like it. Yo, it's two-time Super Bowl champion Bryant McFadden, also known as BMAC. Mike check, one, two, one, two. And that's Patrick Peterson, a fellow cornerback. My cousin, and now my co-host on the new podcast, All Things Covered, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. This season, Pat will go from the football field on Sundays to the studio on Mondays to bring you the perspective of an active player at the top of his game. And the name says it all. Sure, we'll catch up with Pat P on how he and the Cardinals are faring. 
but we'll also talk about other sports, our personal interests, and social issues. Then we'll cover even more with a prominent guest each week. With 17 years of NFL cornerback experience between the two of us, we think you'll enjoy our coverage skills. So download and subscribe now to get weekly episodes released first thing Tuesday morning. All Things Covered is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and wherever else podcasts are found. So, um, Dennis, first of all, uh, so you were at the, the game of the century, right? Yeah. Okay. So we're great. What's, uh, give us, give us some color here where you've been at some of the, some of the great college football moments. And so where did you, did you have the feeling? I mean, I know that, uh, we, we were both there when, 45 was at uh, the Big Body Bends in Atlanta for Alabama, Georgia. So I'm sure that with the security mm-hmm. heightened, you had to get there early. Now, what's the what? What was the feel of the game? And did you did you recognize uh, the game when it was done as being a landscape shifting moment, or do you think it is another chapter in what will be sort of the defining rivalry of the SEC West moving forward? No, it, it definitely lived up to the hype. Um, it was I, – I had picked LSU and I had picked the over. So um, – because I sensed it would be something like this. This isn't – these aren't great defenses. We know that. Uh, Alabama has its worst defense, quote, unquote, since 2007. I think it was 30th this week. Not terrible, but not even close to what they were. LSU now uh, – you know, Ed Orgeron is talking about – you know, breaking down the engine and putting it back together again this week after giving up 37 to Ole Miss. The Alabama and LSU have become Big 12 teams, and I say that with, with much respect. I'm not making a joke. This is what they have chosen to be um, because they both coaches have seen the landscape. When the parachute doesn't open defensively, when you don't have elite players or, or don't have an elite defense, put it that way, you can outscore people. And if Alabama gets in, or if LSU, you know, wins the championship, they're going to have to have times when they outscore people because that's what they do best. Uh, Alabama doesn't run it particularly well compared to what they did. Uh, I, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, I had never seen him play like that. I didn't know he was capable of something like that, what he did to Alabama. That was a revelation. But they did just go up and down the field on each other because they had elite offensive players. And to see Joe Burrow in person was an eye-opener. He is he is the best player in the country, at least offensively. The way he he's smart, he's efficient, his arm strength is underrated until you see it live. And he knows when to run and how to run. If there's seven yards to the sticks, he's very smart about taking that and going with it. Whereas Tua was never that player. Tua was mobile. Tua was was fast. But he was never a runner like Burrow is, and that's what separates him. It was, it was really eye-opening for me. All right, so it became the Big 12. And so with that and with LSU cast as Oklahoma and with an SEC championship <laughs> game on the horizon against Georgia, I, do you think we're about to see a kind of a Georgia-Oklahoma shootout? I mean, I know that's not the way Georgia's been playing, but is it just one of those deals where it's like, all right, LSU 
it, it can't be stopped no matter what defense you put in front of it. But oh, yeah, by yeah. the way, they can't really stop you either. If even if you're applauding run heavy offense. Yeah, it'll. Yeah, I, I do think that could be the case because Jake Fromm is like now he's kind of trending towards that game manager, but we all know he's an elite quarterback. He's just a different elite quarterback who can pick you apart. Uh, you know, Georgia right now reminds me, I keep saying this, reminds me of Alabama from like 09 to 14 before uh, Nick went to the spread. The game manager at quarterback, run the ball and, and play defense. And that, and by the way, Kirby Smart was a defensive coordinator for those teams. So I guess we're not surprised. But that's what Georgia is, and I'm not saying it's bad. It's gotten them this far. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think that's possible. Because I, I think, you know, with, with Jake Fromm at the controls and DeAndre Swift against that defense of LSU's, I, I think it could have every, uh, every possibility of a game being played in the 30s. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm – didn't didn't I introduce this to you, Barton, today earlier? Just the idea that I'm just kind of used, like uh, something about Georgia just sort of has this like suck the fun out of the world to it. <laughs> like in in the way that I could just I could absolutely see it going in with a great game plan to beat LSU, where they just you know we're just going to limit the number of times that Joe Burrow touches the ball, and if we think that we can get. You know, if if LS if we're going to only give LSU eight possessions in a game, and we think we can get stops on five or six of them, then we feel like we can win that game and just sort of play in that math all the way through. I I absolutely am starting to envision a world where our two SEC teams in the college football playoff are not LSU and Alabama, but it's LSU and Georgia, and it's because yeah. Georgia's beat LSU in the SEC championship game. Well, I, I think that LSU can beat Georgia. Um, I'm sorry, Georgia can beat LSU. I don't disagree with that. But I, I just have a really hard time seeing anyone slow down LSU's defense. So if Georgia beats LSU, I think it'll be because G Georgia absolutely runs through, around, over LSU and has this monster rushing game. Mike Renner from PFF, Pro Football Focus, tweeted this today. They're NCAA leaders in completion percentage on non-screens. All right, 2014, Cody Kessler, 67%. Luke Falk in 2015 and 2016, 66, 65. Baker Mayfield in 2017, 66. Gardner Minshew in 2018, 69. Joe Burrow right now, 77%. Like, wow. It's just, like, it's kind of insane what he's doing, and it's a big part of it, is these absolute like, sh like show me like who stopped Jamar Chase all year, like who stopped that guy? Nobody. Who, no one has no stopped one. that guy. <laughs> Justin Jefferson's the same way, and then Clyde Edwards-Helaire is this. He's not a. He's not really a running back. He's or the way they use him. He's. I mean, they're. It's almost air raidish the way they're doing things uh, in terms of their personnel and. Um, so I, I just think whatever happens in that game, it's, it, I, I, I'm having a hard time figuring out how it doesn't involve LSU scoring points. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so, all right, you got to do, uh, LSU Bama. 
where where else have you been recently, Dennis? Oh God, they all run together now. I'm trying to remember. I was off Saturday, and then yeah, then before that was Alabama, and before that was Florida, Georgia, and that's to, to the point we were just talking about. That's when my eyes were open to Georgia offensively because Lawrence Kaiser came back. And he's a big-time player. He is a all-conference quality player. Uh, by the way, people don't know he's a grad transfer from Miami. He's been injured a lot at Georgia, but is their best receiver in a year where they had no go, to, you know, no veteran receivers. Uh, and that included him because he they didn't know what they were getting. Um, he had he'd been done okay at Miami, but if they get him going, you know, that's the difference. And in, in Florida, Florida hung on. You know, they lost by seven. They were close, but they just couldn't make a play against that defense to get them back in the game. And, and, and Florida's not there offensively yet. We know that. Um, but uh, that, that's what, that was my eye-opening moment of, of the Florida-Georgia game, that Georgia maybe, hey, wasn't out of it. Uh, people seem to forget that, you know, that – that albatross around their neck, South Carolina, is not going to make a difference. Uh, that that could, it's going to be a four and eight South Carolina team, I think, or five and seven South Carolina team, and a, and a loss you still can't uh, explain. But they're sitting there with everything, their destiny in front of them, being able to control everything. You know, would would another school have been able to sustain that? Maybe not. But um, no, that was. Uh, that was an eye opener for me watching Georgia, Florida, and then, and then the game of the week, uh, and I think the week before that, Georgia, Florida, with the Chase Young coming out game, it was against Wisconsin, six tackles, five for loss, four sacks to tie a school record, and we were all riding Heisman candidate, best defensive player in the country. I don't know if any of that's even changed after he sat out two weeks. Uh, no, he's, he's not. Gonna, I don't think he'll get to New York. He could. But he could still win the Nagurski or Bednarik as defensive player of the year because, because of what he's done already. And, and you'll see it against Penn State. There are times when he affects almost every play because he's so quick off the edge. He'll have a foot across the line or in the backfield, you know, right after the ball is snapped. And you've got to account for him. No, and listen. He's a great He's a great kid too. Besides what happened to him, but go ahead. Yeah, no. If if Jameis Winston can win a Heisman Trophy after getting cleared by the Florida yeah, Attorney General, yeah. then Chase Young can uh, can definitely find find himself in New York City as a Heisman Trophy finalist. And in fact, I think that I'm starting to think that in a year where it looks like Joe Burrow's got this thing locked up for many of the reasons yeah. that Barton just described, just the fact that yeah, listen, all. Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson, uh, you know, Terrace Marshall back in the lineup, who again just brings a, a truly, truly uh, elite level of ball skills and a coordination with the quarterback. You know, the, they just know each other. They're, they're simpatico. They got it. They know exactly where the ball needs to be placed, where I'm going to catch it, and then being able to make runs after the catch for sure. But Joe Burrow is not just elite this season, but he is historically elite with what he's been able to do within the framework at the LSU offense. With the runaway type situation that we've got for Joe Burrow in the Heisman picture, I think that Chase Young with the Penn State game, the Michigan game, and the Big Ten title game is absolutely still in the discussion to get enough second or third place votes 
to end up as a Heisman Trophy finalist. I would argue that uh, that Chase Young has a better chance to be in New York as a finalist than Justin Fields, who, while he hasn't really been a buzzy or talking point player, I mean, his stats are ridiculous just because of how dominant Ohio State has been. So if I'm, you, yeah, I, I'm still on another it. can of worms there that I was on a show, some other show today where I just said, we're, we're talking about Heisman candidates, and I said, you're assuming that the average Heisman voter follows college football. And I, I'm serious about that. They, there was a time when they gave those votes away like they were nickels. And there's a lot of guys that aren't in the media that don't follow the game, that don't cover it, that see Justin Fields. Yeah. It's like a ball of string in front of a cat. And they don't have enough layered thought. Chase, they literally don't know who Chase Young is. They so just that's see what, that's, that's Ohio why State quarterback. I, yeah. Oh, man, that's a bummer. What's that? I said, so they just see Ohio State quarterback Justin Fields, yeah. and they see Ohio see, State being thirteen and zero. Yeah, quarterback. Yeah, I, hope I think because I think with him being honestly, I think the sitting out helps. No one cares what he did against Maryland or Rutgers, anyways. And now he's got these two games that everyone's going to be watching, and I think that he. If he does, any, I mean, that's a big if, but if he has games like he did against Wisconsin, I don't think there's any way he's not in New York. Not that he's got a chance to win in. That's Joe Burrow's done deal. But yeah. uh, I think he'll be in New York, and and I hope he is. That'd be awesome to see him there. You guys make a great point. I hadn't thought of it that way. Well, let's, the, the, let's, the point about Jameis Winston is a, is a good one. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to – I'm not going to act as we cannot be penalizing Chase Young uh, after the precedent that has been set. No, so and Johnny Manziel. And, yeah, you know, no, no, at the no. time Cam Newton. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, exactly. Cam Newton was ineligible for three hours before the Georgia game, right? Yep. Declared ineligible, yep. cleared three hours later. I think he almost had to sit out the Tuesday practice for the Iron Bowl. That's oh. unheard of. <laughs> <laughs> um, Barton, what was uh? What what was standing out to Oh, you mentioned you brought this up. That was why I wanted to say it. the Big Twelve is in this fascinating position, and we saw it with the committee's first rankings because the committee put a six and three, or at least a three loss Oklahoma State team in the top twenty five before Oklahoma State was in the AP or the coaches top twenty five. They have continued to commit to the Big Twelve. Do you where do you see that in, in terms of being able to to help you decipher what you think might happen as these final three weeks play out. Well, I th- I think it's appropriate that like I was just pleased to see Iowa State like Iowa State's in the top twenty five with six wins. Uh, there's only what like four teams in there with seven, and and Iowa State gets in there with six, and I think it should be in there, and I think it's a it's a commentary on the competitive nature of the big 12 the conference i've been screaming all along is the toughest conference to survive and so you got a seven and three oklahoma state team a six and four iowa state team uh you've got and and i think that and i don't know what it does because i still again i still think that the pac-12 is 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 in the has the inside lane for this big 12 versus pac-12 showdown that could potentially be brewing here towards the end of the year but at least it acknowledges that Baylor and Oklahoma have 
tricky games that they have to get past. And a six and four Iowa State, a win over a six and four Iowa State for Oklahoma, it, it maybe isn't going to ding you quite like a win over six and four or five and five, whoever in the ACC is, or you know what, whatever the compar- comparative uh, game would be. So, um, so I don't know what the what sort of the bigger uh, grand design meaning of, of, of all that is other than just to say it's, it's probably appropriate that the, that the big 12 has at least four teams in here. If Oklahoma makes it, the committee will, will make sure they say they give them credit for a one point win over Iowa state. Yeah. I mean, maybe, maybe that's what this is. It's just like the committee giving themselves the option of boosting Oklahoma up by making sure it has, and, and I don't think that they're, they're that, um, I don't think that they're, they're scheming like that, but I, but I do think that allows them and allows Oklahoma maybe for a pathway that, uh, that we're not acknowledging. I don't think they're that conniving, but I think that they are, they're, they're trying to separate the big 12 from the ACC essentially, because you've got a bunch of teams that are beating up on each other and you're saying that in the Big 12, we find the quality of that middle tier to be valuable by considering it among the top 25 teams in the country. Even if we're trading out some of those teams, we believe that the top half of this league is among the you know, top fourth of all of college football. And uh, you're not saying that with the ACC, as the ACC just has Clemson, and its only hope remains to be Virginia Tech, if Virginia Tech is able to uh, continue to win out after making an appearance in the uh, in the media poll after this past week. By, by the way, uh, in terms of the ACC, this is my stat of the week. Uh, it's, now, it's now happened two weeks in a row that the ACC didn't have two teams in the top 25. That's the first time in the six-year history of the CFP that a Power Five league hasn't had a second team in. Last last week was the first time. This week was the second time. So do you want to know how mediocre the ACC is? I'm not making a point here. Clemson's great. I'm just saying that um, it's down, folks, and well, it's way down. Well, hey. To the point that uh, ACC was – I you ever heard of anything called realtimerpi.com? I think it's used for basketball. Um, ACC is sixth in the um, conferences behind the uh, American, and the Pac-12 is fourth. So I, I, I don't have to tell you that, Chip. <laughs> well, I, I, so I was trying to consider this, and I was not uh, covering the sport at the time, but when Pete Carroll had USC rolling uh, – Weren't they just beating up on the rest of the Pac-10? And what was the commentary on the Pac-10 at the time? Um, that uh, Pete Carroll had brought defense to the Pac-10, which had never been played, and that was the difference in them making their run. I don't know. I'm trying to think. Yeah, I, I think they were. Like I, um, I don't remember but it was, a specific. But, but that was – you're right. But even that – even then – the conference thing wasn't a big deal. I I, re, I I remember it being a big deal about the time that Auburn got left out in what was it? Oh four, right? Undefeated SEC champion. People didn't talk about conference strength before that. 
And then it seemed like after that, that's all they talked about. Because Mike Slide made it determined in his mind this would not endure. And in fact, that's when the ball got rolling for the playoff after that time um, in small little increments. But what was it, eight years later, the, the presidents voted in a playoff. One, one more note about the ACC. Um, if they do not have a second team in, and indeed Clemson goes to the playoff, uh, the Orange Bowl will not have a team to se- select for the Orange Bowl because it's the next ranked team. They will get into a back room, talk to their partners, and pick one. Listen, and- I listen. I saw you <laughs> write about this. I don't know why yeah. you you have covered this sport for too long, Dennis. I don't know why a backroom deal should seem like anything unique about college football. <laughs> and I don't even want to call it a backroom deal. I just think it's unique. Yeah, no, no. This in, is in a league where every every other team except Clemson is going to be seven and five. How's that going to look? We like Wake because they are really pretty. No, Virginia Tech came on late. No, but that's the thing is because it's not going to be Wake Forest. And that's the reason I'm so intimately aware of this when it comes to the bowl selection process is because it doesn't matter how many games Wake Forest wins because it doesn't have the kind of travel capacity to get favorable treatment from a bowl game. So the team that's going to get selected for the Orange Bowl might be Miami, right? It might be Miami or it might well, be Virginia they, yeah, Tech. They're they're eliminated from they can I think they could still go to the Orange Bowl. They're eliminated from the coastal. I think that's the case. But they could they could still but Miami, be the selection. But Miami doesn't travel well and they're sure as heck are not gonna travel well. Not well, I don't even know if they'll travel for this game. What are they now? Six and four? I think. That's Miami? That's, that was always the threat the, because Wake Forest has been in the top 25 and the knowledge has always been that you have to finish in the top 25 if you're Wake Forest because if the Orange Bowl gets to pick, you're not getting picked. Yeah. What, what, what team, what fan base gets most energized from the ACC to go to the Orange Bowl to, to get up off their butts and, and drive and buy tickets? Virginia I'm Tech. Asking. Virginia I'm Tech. Asking. Virginia, okay. Virginia, no, no, not not Virginia. Know. Maybe Virginia, but Virginia or Virginia Tech. Okay. What about what about yeah. Pitt? Has Pitt got any fans? Pitt's got a lot of fans. Uh, yeah. I don't. I don't think that Pitt. I don't. I don't, I don't think that Pitt's going to get the uh, going to get the magic touch. I don't think Virginia would either. I think Virginia Tech's got more like. I think Virginia Tech's travel base is a little bit stronger historically. Just my opinion. Yeah. Uh, all right. Any other, any, uh, as we, uh, we look ahead to the weekend, of course, we've got Ohio state, Penn state. Um, we've got, uh, Texas Baylor. We've got UCLA, USC got some interesting ba- matchups along yeah. the way, Oregon at Arizona state, uh, Barton, anything sort of stand out to you as we're sitting here on Tuesday night, ruminating in the midst of these college football playoff rankings releases. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, I think it'll be a good. I, I think probably the game in college football that I'm intrigued by is is A and M Georgia because I want to see if Tech like Texas A and M right now is is just you know beating the teams they beat and and losing the top ten teams and I'm I'm a little curious if they've got more in them than that if they're capable of 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 doing more than that I mean this is. I, I think, I mean, not only not do I think, I mean, they lost to South Carolina. This is a beatable Georgia team. Uh, so I'd like to see what A&M can do this weekend. Um, but, 
And then, you know, it, it'll be interesting to see whether there's any uh, chaos in the deserts. Uh, yeah, disruption that's what I was thinking. In the deserts. Yeah. I mean, road on the road in, in Tempe and Tucson, I don't care what the records are. Like, that can be a tricky spot. Both of those are night games. Uh, Utah, Arizona, the later of the two. So, um, I don't know. That's that's. I'm not. I'm not putting anything in Sharpie until uh, we get to halftime in those at least. I want to know who's going to get Arkansas and Florida State. <laughs> Dennis, we got games <laughs> left. Say, I know. I know. Just just to leave the the listeners hanging on the uh, on a precipice. And is Greg Schiano going to get Rutgers? Yes. It feels like a, done a deal, lot, I guess. It looks like it, but I don't know what they're. Squabbling over details, I guess. I don't know. Well, they need to get it going because uh, early signing period, tick tock, tick tock. I thirty think days, less than a month. Thirty days away as we record this. Thirty days away. Mm. Barton, how how are you feeling? Are you ready for ESP? Yeah, we we've, we've been we started the plan. I got got a story coming out tomorrow. I haven't written it yet, but uh, I am going to start doing a weekly co- recruiting column, and so there is. There is uh, the, the train is rolling. We're, we're leaving the station. It's about to be recruiting season. Brian Breesy, superstar, get to know the name, right? Brzee. Brzee. See, yeah. I'm getting to know the name right now. That's right. Be ready to go. He is Dennis Dodd. You can follow him on Twitter at Dennis Dodd. You can follow him on Twitter at Barton Simmons. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you. Stage kicks off Tuesday on CBS All Access. There's nothing like it.